You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Hey there, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Handicast on the Disability After Dark feed. Andrew Gerza here. You're going to hear an episode where Heather and I sit down with our new friend, Elle Steele, and we sit down with her because she is a contributor to our handy book of love, lust, and disability. We had so many contributions to this book that we actually ended up having a lost chapter to the book. We have a lost chapter all about role play, BDSM, and kink, and kind of the deeper relationship of role play in our lives as disabled people. So we talked to Elle about her experiences around role play and her experiences around disability, her experiences around being a Paralympian. She comes out along with Heather as a as a witch. We have discussions about the disability community. There's so much to unpack here. And Heather and I really enjoyed sitting down with her and having this conversation. So I'm really excited to bring this episode of the Handicast with you, to you rather. I really enjoy also sitting down with Heather and doing these kind of episodes because it brings a different perspective to sexuality and disability to have someone else to do this stuff with and to have someone else to to have these conversations with. So the Handicast is a part of Disability After Dark that we're really proud of and I'm really proud of. And I'm really, really excited to bring these episodes to you as well. So if you want to be a part of the Handicast with us, you can email us at getintouch at thatshandy.co and you can let us know you want to be a part of the Handicast. Or you, or you can email me at, at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and let me know you want to be a part of another episode that we do. So I just we, just, we are just so excited to bring this to you. Also, make sure you pick up a copy of the Handy Book of Love, Lust, and Disability on our website at www.thatshandy.co and click on the shop button there. And when you get a copy of the book, you'll get a copy of the chapter, the lost chapter we're going to talk about today, free. So I'm going to stop rambling, but here's the newest episode of the Handycast right now on Disability After Dark. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an episode of The Handicast, a podcast within Disability After Dark, where my sister and my co-founder, Heather, and I talk to people about sex and disability, and we do a bunch of cool stuff around our new brand, Handy. So we've not done one of these in quite a while. So this is the first one of 2021, and we are super excited to be back. Yay! Hi, everybody. (laughs) So... On the show today, we're going to do something really cool because you've probably seen it on our socials that we released our book and things are going really well with that. But we also, as part of the book, we have a lost chapter that we, we have a, we, we have a, <laughs> let's, let's try that again. We have a lost chapter that we want to, we, we are releasing to people who get the book. That's right. People who, who. Actually, anyone can download the last chapter. It's on our website um, and you can download it for free. Um, So it's just a bit of a free gift from us to you. Um, And it talks all about um, role play. Um, And I guess 
what was interesting when we put it together is we kind of left this notion of role play open-ended um, and we had people respond back with um, BDSM and kink and role play from that perspective uh, and why, you know, and, and how and why that was something that they really enjoyed um, introducing and, and exploring in their sexual relationships or just their relationships. Um, but then a lot of people also looked at it from a slightly different lens in terms of the roles that you can play within a relationship, whether that's um, caregiver roles, whether that's, um, you know, just partner roles and how that changes and, and sort of flexes within a disability lens. Um, and also how to start to shift some of those roles if people were finding themselves in a role that they weren't particularly happy with. Um, and, and how they kind of took some of that sort of power back um, if they were feeling like they were in more of a um, carer role um, and, and were allowed, you know, sort of allowed themselves to, to um, come out of that if that's not a place they wanted to be. So it was really interesting because we didn't give a lot of um, borders or boundaries on this one. And the responses we got back were so interesting, diverse and varied um, that we thought, this is amazing. And so what we did is we held it back from the original book um, when we published it. Um, and now we've just sort of put it out for free. So anybody who wants to get a taste of what the larger book is like um, or who's missed out on this lost chapter and wants to learn more a little bit about role play, um, that's something you can download on the site for free. Awesome. And one of the contributors to that lost chapter is our guest today. And I'm so excited to, to introduce all of you to our guest, Elle Steele. Hello, Elle. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Such a pleasure to have you on the Handy Guest. We Thanks, were we were so I, we we were so excited by what you wrote and the the, the contributions you made. And I just reread your last chapter contribution just now before we recorded. And I was like, wow, this is really powerful. So I am super excited to chat with you today. Can you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience for those who may not have read your awesome contributions to the book and may want to learn a little bit more about you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I am a woman with a condition called arthrogryposis multiplex congenita. Um, I have club feet and I also have a hand abnormality, but none of them are connected. So just a few little things out of the bag. Um, I'm a five-time Australian representative, a Paralympian and a gold medalist. And now that I'm not swimming or playing uh, wheelchair rugby anymore, I run a couple of businesses um, predominantly in the spiritual space. So I retired from swimming and had lots of injuries and went to all these doctors and which is quite a common story when with disability that they told me it was all in my head. So then I went, I branched out and I went to into the spiritual space and went to a spiritual healer. And that kind of began me on this whole path of opening up my intuition and learning about energy healing. And um, now I, I use proper magic and I come out as a witch and I do all of that within my work as well as being um, a woman with disability as well and I'm, there's not a lot of us around like I don't know a lot of disabled witches or disabled mystics so um, it's it'd be cool to see if I get some people coming out and being like yes I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the spiritual closet or I'm coming out of the spiritual closet as well oh that's I'm so exciting sure. I'm, I'm not a disabled witch but I am a secret witch um, so we can oh. talk offline about some of our, <laughs> some of our um, yeah, sorcery. If I was at home, I would have all the crystals around and everything as well. Yeah, <laughs> so many coming, comings out today. I didn't know yeah. how there was a witch and I, the, yeah. <laughs> so, wow. The, there's the, a lot of secrecy revealed today. Um, 
That's great, though. And I also don't know a lot of disabled witches myself either. So I think that's it's really cool that you've kind of come into that space for yourself. What um, can you, this was not a question that I wrote down, but I'm now curious, how did that identity come to you and why and how did that become a place in your life? Well, I'd always been really intuitive and I'd always been deeply connected to other people's energy. I'm an empath, so I can feel energy. But as a kid, I would see spirits around. Um, Often they would come to me in the form of unicorns and I would be like, there's a unicorn over there or there's someone walking down the hallway or, and my family would be like, Oh, she's just got an amazing imagination. I had all these, um, uh, like imaginary, imaginary friends, but I was just talking to everyone around me. Um, and then I had an experience with Archangel Michael when I was seven and went and talked to my parents about it. And they said that that probably wasn't true because your seven year old daughter's coming to you and saying that an angel's come to have a conversation with them. And like, that's completely fair enough for them to react in that way. But later on, when I opened up my intuition, he came back to me and, and had a conversation with me and we've been working together ever since. So I, I've been in the industry for about 15 years. And um, so I can see people's auras. And I, um, so last night, for example, one of my um, pieces of work that I do is I've got an online membership called The Forest. And we, we're about to wrap up this round, but the next round is about to start. We've got 75 people in there. And I spent um, about an hour and a half giving readings to people last night just over Zoom. So they jump on and we do quick readings like one after the other. So you just do intuitive readings for them. But we've had yeah different witches come in and talk about tarot. We've had, you know, potion classes. And um, it's just, it, it became... It, it didn't it didn't become my identity it was that I kind of unraveled myself and it already was my identity I like I rebirthed myself into it and it just it was funny because I I the the beginning of it I was scared to come out as a healer because my body wasn't healed you know this society I, the idea of my body was broken and so yeah. when I first went into healing a lot of healers would say to me oh you're coming for healings or insurance even energy healings because you want to heal your disability which is absolutely not true at all I don't want to heal my disability it's one of the most beautiful things about me but I had to kind of navigate that space as well and 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 um and come out come out as being proud about my disability but also being a healer as well so it was, it's been an interesting adventure <laughs> there's there's so much to like unpack in that <laughs> and- so like explore there. Um, I'm wondering again. This is I didn't write this down, but my brain is like, oh, I have five thousand questions now. Um, <laughs> how does your disabled identity impact your your healer identity in terms of like, you know, we know that your disability is a beautiful part of you, and of course it is. But is there other parts of you that's like, or was there a part of you that was like, I can't be a healer if I'm disabled? Was there like, was there a lot of self doubt that you went through trying um, to get there? I don't know whether it was like you can't be a healer because you're disabled, but I definitely had, I definitely believed what they thought for a while. I definitely believed that I, I could only get to a particular point in my healing um, because of how my body was. But, you know, the beautiful thing about technology is that, you know, predominantly my healings and the work I do is via Zoom now. So I don't ever have to think about whether I um, can get a room that, 
that will be accessible for me to for treat like a treatment room my my treatment table is very low so when people come to see me they it's it's like a hip height for them whereas for, so that I can you know put my hands on their body if I need to um but a lot of through through lockdown and the pandemic last year I did um was that was my most successful year in business and um, I did a lot of the healings on, on client, new and old clients from my bed because it was easier for me to work from there and, and then I didn't have to kind of think about pain or anything else like that because I live with chronic pain. So, um, Me yeah, too, I, hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> chronic pain life. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it, now technology has definitely kind of opened up the experiences for me. Awesome. I wanted to just move to the book a bit. Now we are going to get into what you, some, some of what you, some of the quotes you sent to us for the book, which are amazing and fantastic and, and awesome. When you, how, what was it like to be approached to do a project like this? And when you kind of got the call from us, what can you kind of share with us what that felt like? You're like, oh, I'm going to contribute to this project. Um, it was amazing. It was, I'm, I'm really chuffed and I feel like I'm in this special club when I'm, when I think about the people that are in this book and, and to be asked to be part of a project like this, I think it's a really important topic. I, I talk a lot about how, you know, there is this belief around that people with disabilities are non-sexual beings and they're not seen as sexual or, and we're not depicted in mainstream media and all of that kind of stuff as being something that is desirable, um, which is just actually bullshit. Um, so to be part of a project like this is just, it was, it's, it's amazing to be able to put your name to something like this. I feel very blessed. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. Oh. And I was, I was really excited when I, I think it was by email or Instagram. I can't remember. Yeah. Well, we were so incredibly humbled to have yourself and the rest of the contributors on board as well. Like for us, I think we probably were both like all of the people involved were like having a bit of like fangirl and fan guy moments as we were doing it. Like, Oh my God, <laughs> like this is amazing. Um, and there's um, just to your point about representation as well. Like there's, I think um, a Hollywood uh, Instagram hashtag movement going on right now that I came across yesterday, which kind of points out like just how low representation is within sort of like the larger movies. And even when people with disabilities are actually playing or, or either, or even just in movies, like a, a like a fairly large majority of that time, they're actually like portrayed as like either like the villain or ugly or something that needs to be fixed. Um, and it's so rare that you actually see that flip side. So yeah, for us, the more we can do to start to show that flip side and start to change that dialogue. Um, working with people like yourself has just been, yeah, an incredibly humbling experience and also, yeah, really powerful for us as well. Yeah. <laughs> been amazing I watched a Christmas movie at the end of last year with a, the actress Ali Stroker in it and she yep. it was a Christmas movie with a woman with a disability and it was so interesting to watch this woman in her wheelchair driving with her hand controls and just doing all the things that I would do and it was really kind of a bit of a brain fuck because I was like oh I'm seeing someone who looks like me on tv doing the things that I would do but she's not the victim and yep. it was yeah it was just yeah it, to have more of that, I didn't realize how much that would affect me and how much I had been missing out because it's not we're not represented. Yeah, and then just how and just how um, how rare it is to see yourself on screen, yeah. like to see and not in a documentary, like not in a like here's this real person to see a character that is not real, that is a fictional character that is 
you know, because documentaries about disability are very different, but to see like a character, I think is so vital because we don't ever get that kind of mm. representation unless it's from, unless it's from a place of like, oh, their life is so sad and tragic. And, and you know, it's nice to see the moments when they're not. And I think we just need more yeah. of that. Yeah, absolutely. You talked a little bit about your disabilities at the start. Can you share more about how your multiple disabilities impact your day-to-day life for us? Can you shine a light on that for us? Yeah, so um, arthrogryposis, um, when I was born, it was, I mean, it's still a rare condition, but it was even rarer. Um, and when, yeah, when I was born, my doctor also thought that potentially I was the only person in Australia or in the world with arthrogryposis and a hand, hand abnormality in one like kind of like a body. Um, I was like, what do I have a body? Um, and so <laughs> I, <laughs> um, is, when I first kind of was growing up, I could walk around really easily. I've had uh, 35 surgeries, um, though predominantly most of them in the last 10 years to for cor- like correctional surgeries. Um, <clears throat> arthrogryposis means that your joints haven't grown properly. So I have little knobbly bits on them or they're con- called con- contractual joints. Um, so they might be misshapen. So ball sockets don't, they don't run smoothly together. They grind on each other, which then damages the cartilage around and the ligaments and tendons around. So some joints may have ligaments and tendons that are really loose or tight or they're non-existent and some muscles can be non-existent as well. Um, I, I've had a wheelchair since I was seven, but in the last 10 years, I've been in my chair pretty much permanently. Um, I've had my right ankle, a triple fusion in my right ankle, which uh, was a bit of a disaster. I ended up having to have three surgeries instead of one. So that was, um, and, and I'm probably heading towards having to have that ankle replaced in the next couple of years now. And, and, I've, and the most recent surgeries I've had of both my knees replaced. So I've got two tight, I've got titanium knees. Um, and they're amazing. So I can't really walk that far with them because my back is fucked because I haven't been able to stand properly for so long and I'm just weak around my torso area, but I have no pain anymore. So it's kind of like you have to weigh it up. Um, but there's, there's 30 different types of arthrogryposis. You can have genetic arthrogryposis or um, it can just be because there's something happening in the womb. I had a lack of amniotic fluid so that we think maybe that's the reason why but there's no real we, we don't really know why I have it both my sisters are um able-bod my mum and dad are able-bod so I just kind of was a surprise <laughs> um yeah but yeah it's 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 a disability that definitely you live like with it's a you live with chronic pain I have a lot of um prescription medication and stuff that I have to kind of work around to help me sleep or just to help with swelling or um, just to be able to survive some days, really, and I'm and I'm quite strict. To like function, well. yeah, to function, yeah. So there are certain foods I can't eat because of they give me flare ups and all that kind of stuff as well. Fun times. <laughs> there are certain foods that I can't eat that I want to eat that I shouldn't eat. <laughs> I know, I I know the game. It's a fun, yeah. joyous ride. I'm like, should I? Will I hurt tomorrow? Will I hurt in an hour? Who knows? Let's try it out together. <laughs> Yeah, I reckon your lived experience actually makes you an even better witch. I think so too. Yeah, because I you'll have a level of empathy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can, I, I'm, I'm really good at being able to see all the different sides of the story, and it's not because I'm a Libra. 
Like I, yeah. <laughs> I can understand, you know, we can, Librans can see balance. Here. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I just, and I'm intuitive, but I, I'm, I'm what I've learned through this experience is I've learned to not judge people because I can't judge myself because uh, I don't know how I'm going to work wake up during the day and there's been mo there's been many a day that I've berated myself for not being able to get out of bed or for eating something shitty that I know I shouldn't have eaten or for, or anything but I think that's made me a better practitioner because you you come into a space with me and I and I'm, and I'm not just assuming that I love you and I trust you. I, I genuinely love people and, and I trust them because that's what they, people need that in the world, that we don't have a lot yeah. of that in the world. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We're taught the opposite, right? To yeah. fear and to fear and distrust immediately. Yeah. Maybe the person can sway you to the other side if they work hard enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so because this chapter is all about role play, I wanted to get into, I wanted to ask you, Elle, what roles have you had to play in your life, whether in, just in your life as a disabled person with chronic pain, or, and then I wanted to move into like a sexier part of that question. But first, what roles have you, have you um, had to play just in your life as a disabled person? Oh, like the, um, I'm fine, don't worry about me. I'm totally fine, don't worry. I can do it, <laughs> that role. <laughs> um I don't know whether that's a very I, I think that we all probably people with disabilities play or maybe we all play that role but I know that people with disabilities definitely play that role um I I I, I probably can give, give it a better example when I talk about a story a friend of mine years ago said to me or she called me she's like do you want to go out for dinner on Monday and I was like no I can't because I'm having knee surgery and she said how long have you been in pain and I I was like oh about six weeks they're just going to clean my knee out it was prior to having my knees replaced and she's like l i can't be a friend to you in hindsight she obviously can be a friend to me in hindsight but if she doesn't know how i'm feeling or this person didn't know how i was feeling those six weeks or that pain leading up to that surgery then she could have she could have been a better friend to me if i had expressed how i was feeling and i think that with disability often I know for myself, the role that I've played is that I'm this strong person. I'm a bit of a superwoman that I don't need the assistance. And, you know, I get to a point then after weeks and weeks of being in pain or thinking that something is happening with my body. And then I eventually call my doctor and we have a cortisone injection or something, or I express to my family what's going on. And that is a definite um, role that I slip in and out of. And I, I, I don't know whether I'll ever learn to not behave in that way it's such a it's such a pattern um I think that you know with society and that's why I love being in my own biz, a business owner because I can work with my own energy levels and in my own time and what my for what my body can do you know working yeah. in an office was a role as well because I had to continually play up to what the AVs could do but I just knew that I couldn't I was I was drowning but I wanted to seem like I could perform in a way that was just like them um and you know in the book I mention um you know I'm a Paralympian so I, I you know being a Paralympian is also a performance having to act out this um strong athlete that you know is so focused on one thing that you and you and you that you that you're not scared or you're not worried about failure and then when everything like for example the, the way that I kind of ended my career was I missed out on Athens 2004 Paralympics and my bathers split in my trial race. It's a very long story. Um, but having to, 
you know, when, when your world crumbles around you, the, the role gets taken away and you can no longer play it. And that's, then you're having to learn a whole other way to, way to behave in the world. Yeah. A whole other yeah. set of like who you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a catalyst for lots of change for me. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to just um, take a second to, to applaud you being a Paralympian. Cause I don't think that, I mean, that's, I've only met one or two in my life. Uh, <laughs> And now I've met three. So that's all like, that's really, that's really, really cool. And that's, I think, you know, anyone that can get to that level in sport is especially given all the, given all the strikes against us just to, to be um, noticed. I think it's just, I think, I just think it's really cool. And I'm excited to talk to a Paralympian. <laughs> I'm very retired. <laughs> <laughs> retired or not it's still cool uh <laughs> great <laughs> so and then to move on to a sexier part of that question if we were to look into your life in the bedroom as a disabled person what kind of roles do you like to play there i i reckon i'm one of those people who just it's really funny because i think you might when i was younger i wanted to be really like in control and be like the sexy um, woman who like knew how to pleasure the man right but now I now that I've come out as this witch and I've worked in like as a healer and I've worked you know I, I call on my Instagram I call myself a high priestess because I am and I'm in this space of goddess I don't really I want them to do that to me now I want to just basically for lack of a better term lie there and be pleasured yeah how have you been finding someone to do that because I've been looking for like five years now and like, let me tell you, it's slim pickings here in Sydney. I'm like very seriously considering having to come down to Melbourne. I've heard the guys there are slightly better. <laughs> oh, well, um, true. Like, <laughs> Can you be my dating <laughs> dating guru? I haven't really met anyone, but um, I've I've had fun. So, <laughs> well, that's yeah. more than what I'm having at the moment. So that's yeah. good. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, it, I don't know whether it's because, and I think also it's really interesting when you become like, I'm a middle-aged, like I'm a middle-aged woman, I'm 37. And it's so different to when you're just out and about in share houses and I don't know, it's really, it's, it's funny. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the, one of the things I really had to kind of, and this is, you know, interesting in terms of one of your questions that you sent me through was about grief about my body. And I've absolutely grieved my body in the sense of my sexuality in terms of what I can do in the bedroom because I'm not as able as I was. And even my encounters in the last couple of years post knee replacements, like your body doesn't move like it used to when you've got titanium knees. You have to. And, you know, sitting in a chair, like my my body is stiff. Like it's not... Um, it's not... I'm not the athlete that I was, whether it's because of, you know... I'm no longer training or it's actually just because my body has changed and I'm older. It's a really interesting, um, like it's a, it can be a bit of a mind fuck, but it's also a really interesting place to be in terms of learning to love the whole of you and where you are and, and remind yourself to stay in the present. So my, my yeah. role, yeah, they've definitely changed in the bedroom. I don't, but I feel sexier than I ever have before. Like Yay. I'm not, I'm, I just am. <laughs> Do, do you think that society is changing as as like we kind of progress, I guess? Have you seen like a societal shift 
over the last like number of years? Do you think it's fairly remaining the same, like from a relationship, dating, sexuality standpoint? Have you felt any sort of shift personally as you've been going through that change yourself or, you know, as your energy just attracted people who are more comfortable in that realm by the nature of sort of that law of attraction? Um, no, I feel like I've attracted less people, but I think only because I, my, I see myself as a sacred, my body is sacred now. So I'm not just going to fuff about with randoms that feel <laughs> gross because when, when I was younger, I would have just, I just had fun, you know, like it didn't matter. But now I'm, I'm conscious of what my body's going to feel like afterwards. Like for me, and for me, without getting too woo for the listeners, like it's sexuality. Oh, you energy. can get, you can get woo. It's all right. Let's go, get woo. Go, go okay. full. So, sex is an energy exchange. And so we're, you know, basically you're connecting your sacral chakras together. You're connecting your chakras and uh, that's your energy centers in your body. You have seven major ones. And if someone has yucky energy, I don't want them inside me for really like yeah. in all honesty like I yeah. want to be with my equal and I yeah like I definitely think that that's I know I don't know whether I'm really asked, answering the question about role plays but that's changed for me yeah yeah um I like that quote I think we should I think that should be the quote we should use on our on the on the ad for the podcast is like if if you have yucky energy I don't want you inside me <laughs> Well, it is so true, right? We don't necessarily consider it. And then we, I think it's how you feel afterwards as well. Like when you've had a really great energy exchange and you have a really great sexual experience, you have that like natural high that you carry on all day. And then there's other days when you just wish you could take like a whiteboard eraser to your brain and body and just like that never happened. <laughs> and you know, we do it in such the... Uh, we do we we do it in such the opposite way. We do it in a way that's like we look at the outside package of the person, and if they're f- physically attractive to us, we automatically assume they're quote good or they have good energy because we think they're attractive. So we'll we'll do stuff with these really physically attractive individuals, and then be like, oh, that was shit. Why do I have to not feel good about what just happened? And yeah. we probably should be looking inside. More than yeah. or you or you inadvertently play a role that you didn't expect to play and you sometimes you end up in these roles where you, like for me anyway I don't even realize I've been playing this different role maybe until the next day and I look back and I was like oh I've repeated a pattern or I've done that again or just like that just wasn't right for me um, and so it's just it's all learning right like it all helps you get clarity on the energy that is right for you and and the roles that you do want to take on and what the role the other person you want to have um in play in your life and or your even your sexual experiences as well yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and I think that the more that you are you unravel who you know like one of the things I sent my a friend and I do morning manifestation <laughs> to each other and one of the things I said that I was grateful for this morning was I'm grateful for remembering and remembering is like you know remembering the power of who I am and what I bring to the world and my my magnificence and my magic and I wish that more people could remember that their soul's truth and that we didn't, we weren't so worried about trying to make ourselves better the whole time because we don't, we're not, none of us are broken, especially, you know, the world tells people with disabilities and everyone that we're broken, that we need to fix ourselves, but when we're not broken, our soul is complete and whole. And we just came into the world in a body like this to either learn something that our soul needed to learn or that to teach other people. And 
you know, I, I'm, that's one of the things I talk about a lot is that pe people come to me because they think that they're broken, they need to be fixed. But I'm not broken, they're not broken. We, you, this is just your, when you come for a healing or you're evolving in your life or, you know, things happen, you're just, un, you're, you're, it's like another layer of the onion. You're peeling the onion to get closer and closer to the truth of who you are, to the remembering. Yeah. Amazing. I just I mean, got goosebumps. I don't know about you guys, but I've got like all the feels right now. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just remember, remember the thing you said about, about, you know, your soul coming in this way to teach somebody or to learn something. That's something that my mom has been telling me as a disabled person from the time I was like five years old to mm. teach me that like, it's okay that your body is this way. It's all right that you're, you have a disability and maybe in your next life you won't, or maybe in your next life, it'll be a different disability or maybe in all the, you know, it could be a different thing. So I think what you're saying there, Al, is really powerful. And, and like, I just, I think, I love the connection between disability and just healing and disability. And like, I, I, I would love to, and this is nothing that I wrote down, but this is in my head right now. I'd love to like work with you on something and collaborate on something around that. Cause I think it's really, yeah. really powerful. Yeah. I think that the more that we can show the world that we are not broken and that we are not even our bodies in some ways is really important message. Or that, you know, sometimes just thinking about, because we've, we've said the word broken a lot, thinking about sometimes, sometimes we are broken and it fucking sucks and it's hard. And like, that's okay too. And it's okay yeah. to be broken and then put yourself back together or not. Yeah. You're still, even, even if you're broken or not broken, you still have value and that's all right. Yes. Um, um, I want to get to the question about the quote, because I love the quote that you sent in for the last chapter. It was really, really powerful. And I read it, I read it just now before recording and I read it like an hour ago and it like made me have all the feelings about stuff. And I want to just bring it, I want to just read it if I could, cause it's great. So in the last chapter, when you go on to that'shandy.co and you buy the last chapter, or no, sorry, not buy, when you download the last chapter for free, sorry. <laughs> When you download it for free, you'll get Elle's quote. And the quote that she, that I want to read from her says, once at the end of a long-term relationship, when I'd been in and out of hospital due to major surgery fuck-ups, my ex-boyfriend said he felt like he was more my carer than my boyfriend. This obviously ripped my heart out at the time, but I now understand that he wasn't the person for me. He made my disability the excuse to end our relationship, and that's on him. Can you... It's such a powerful quote because this happens in disability discourse all the time where an able-bodied person will tell a disabled person that your disability is too much. I have to take care of you. That's too much. I can't deal. When that happened to you, how did that make you feel? Oh, I felt like I was, it, it felt like all of the feelings of being a burden my whole life were true and that it all piled on top of my, you know, on, on top of themselves and that he, who had seen me and we got, who has, he, he had seen me as a equal, we had been in love for a long time, we'd been friends for a long time prior to our relationship and when he said that it felt like he had been lying to me and that I had made his life worse. And it was such an interesting, and I carried that for a really long time because I thought that I was the reason why I, 
I was the sole reason why we broke up. And, you know, in every relationship, it takes two to tango. Like, we both contributed to the end of our relationship. But it was not, it was not to do with my disability or for me being sick. It was that we, we were not communicating properly. And people... I'm, I, I'm, I get concerned that able-bodied people, and this is ableism in, you know, this is ableism in play, basically. It's an able-bodied person blaming the person's disability for something that is uncontrollable, that it just, life happens, but it's not, we are not choosing our body's fuck-ups or we are not choosing our surgery or our issues. It just is that, yeah. that, that's, that comes with it. Like you just, sometimes things happen and you just got to deal with it. And they're just, they're not, you know, a bad day at work, ours are extreme. Like it's, you know, where we're in bed for a day with chronic pain or we have to have surgery. It's not that we've missed the bus. Like it's, you know, it's yeah. just, it doesn't mean that we're, yeah, we're the problem. And I mean, even if we did miss the bus, it's a whole, if we missed the bus, it's a whole other, that's a whole other thing too, because if it's a, if it's a special bus, could it, yeah. was it accessible? Could it, like, there's so many different layers. What I'm saying is like, I just think that him, using your disability as the out was really it's a shame and I don't know this person and I'll never meet him and I'm he's probably not a bad human but in that moment in his life what he said was horrible and I wish that I hope for him that he thinks about that moment all the time and is like man I really wish I could fix that because what he doesn't realize is that it it leaves a scar on you and that kind of ableism is really hard and that's that kind of ableism is part of why I've never been in a long-term relationship with anybody because they, even before going on a second or third date, I'll get that kind of, Oh, you're it's a lot of work to like hang out with you or, Oh, it's really, you know, mm-hmm. you being, being with you is a lot. It's a lot of energy that we have to expend. It's like, well, sorry. Sorry that I, <laughs> that I needed so- stuff. So I can imagine like, that's really hard, especially that you were friends with this guy beforehand. Yeah. So it was the demise of our whole friendship group as well. You know, we all began to kind of, you know, the the friendship group began to break up and fall apart. And it was, it was a really interesting time for me too, because from that, then I went to the extreme of, well, I can choose how I want to feel about this and about my body. And yeah, you can choose how you want to feel. You can choose how you react to things. But, you know, it's also interesting in terms of like, are you pushing yourself to the absolute extreme when you say I can choose how I want to feel? But, and, you know, there's a term in my industry called spiritual bypassing where you're not allowing yourself to feel the feelings that you need to feel. And um, I didn't allow myself to feel how I really felt in that moment. I just kind of pushed it down. And then interestingly, my body began to, play up even more and I began to experience even more issues with my disability and it, it was this moment of hang on a second I need to really allow myself to feel these feelings so that I can move on from this situation I can grow from it and it, it won't be it won't be something that um oh, like dictates to me other relationships or other community like other romantic scenarios in my life because that was just one yeah. moment I won't play it out again I think it's really powerful what you said about how the ableism he projected onto you impacted your body. And I think it's important that we highlight that because people don't understand, first of all, they don't understand that ableism is real. They don't Mm. understand the impact that it has on people. So for you to say the ableist thing he said to you about you needing too much care and then dissolving the relationship, 
it impacted how you felt about your body. It impacted your body physically and it impacted your, you know, your yourself as a disabled person. And I think it's just important to highlight that to show that ableism does have a physical effect on the body and it does take a toll that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I didn't write down any more questions. I just love chatting with you. So the last one that I'll, that I'll ask is as you move into this new role of like coming out as a witch and doing all this stuff and like, how do you think your role as a disabled person will change as you get older and as your body changes and as you need more things, both as a disabled person and as like, let's go back to the sexy part for a minute. How do you think your role in the bedroom will change too? Well, I hope it gets more exciting. I hope that I, <laughs> I hope it gets more abundant and um, magical. And, you know, I, I want my, and I know that it's, it is beginning to, and it is, I hope that my outer world begins to mirror my inner world of how I feel about myself. And, you know, and I know that it does to extent, but really just begins to fly, like blossom and flourish because I feel like so much of that is happening in my in, like in myself as a person as I allow myself to break down ideas and and you know internal ableism and all that kind of stuff when you when the more that you let go of these ideas of who you have to be and allow yourself to be who you truly are there's like so many amazing things come out of all of that and so I hope the roles I get to play are that I get to go full-blown witch and I get to live you know in in a world that is um where I see that we are just part of the human existence and we're not questioned or um, we're not put into a basket of the, like the too hard basket to deal with, or where, you know, it's too hard to make things accessible because it costs too much money and all that just, it's all just story bullshit. Um, and I, so I, I'm really excited to see what the future holds. And, you know, the I, I've, I've done a lot of work in terms of disability advocacy I've been in different communities and and done a lot of um you know governmental roles where I'm, I'm being an advocate for disabled people and it's really interesting I feel like in those places I couldn't really truly be myself and so I'm so excited now to be able to be an advocate for disability and for people with disabilities and for witches with disabilities by just being myself in the world. And I think that the more that we can be ourselves in the world, the more that we can create really positive, amazing change. That's really interesting. How did you mean like when you were doing disability advocacy for orgs and stuff, you couldn't be yourself? Like, did you mean that like, and I think I understand and correct me if I'm wrong. You meant that there was like, cause when we do disability advocacy in a public sphere, we're kind of pushed into this like, rehabilitation got to make the world a better place for like every disabled person can't really tell the whole story has to have a happy ending kind of thing was it like that yeah and also just so much bullshit red tape like you know and just having to like I I want I'm not here to convince people that they need to make make places accessible for me they should they just know that they need to and I'm not here to be told how I have to behave as a person with a disability you know, I'm a person with a disability. So you, you need, everybody's need, people need to come to me to know how to make the world better for me as a person with a disability. I'm not gonna, I don't want people yeah. to make decisions for me. And that in in that government space, because there's 
there wasn't a lot of people with disabilities, I was constantly being told, well, this is the only, this is the, the way that we have to do it and having to fall into line. And I've never been one to fall into line. I want to break the rules. I don't want to, I don't, I I'm mean, not going to break the rules. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're disabled, so by, by definition, you don't fall into line. So why, why should you in your life anyway? Exactly. <laughs> um, this, like, and I also think, you know, to your point, I think not only with able-bodied people, but I think with disabled people, I find in when I do disability justice work or do disability discourse work on social media, it's such a tenuous place because if you have a view that falls out of step with the dominant disability view and it's a little bit left of center, the whole community will go, oh, that's wrong. We don't agree with it. And it's like, well, but hang on. Can we have a multitude of views here about disability? And I've had that happen to me too. I've been told that I'm wrong because I, because I'm happy about being a disabled person, or because I believe that I can use my mind to change how I feel about it, and that my mindset is much more a powerful tool than getting angry. I'm I'm not here to yell at able-bodied people because they've done something wrong. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. I'm told all the, t- like I'm told all the time every every day in disability discourse that like unless you're fighting with an able-bodied person, you're somehow doing disability wrong. And I'm like, that's not what I want to do. That isn't my, the way I'm going to do it. And I respect those individuals who want to do it that way. And that's fine. But I'm like, how are we going to move this needle forward? How are we going to move this conversation into a space that's okay? If we continually admonish these poor able-bodied people who don't know any better and who yeah. are just trying to learn if we tell them that they're fucking wrong and they're the worst humans that ever existed they're not going to want to learn from us no, because we just no. yelled at them yeah exactly you never get anywhere when you yell at the person on the call on the phone in the call center when you yell at someone about you know your gas bill is too high on the phone they just put you on hold you know you don't actually move <laughs> to the next point so it's i worked in a call center so i can tell you it's very true you do put them on hold and you never speak to them again <laughs> <laughs> I was a manager many a time. It was just I was sitting next to someone that, like who had to put someone who was yelling at them on the phone on hold. But you know, it's you never you don't people don't people will retreat when you're angry. But if you want to go, if you want to go into the space with them and have a conversation, a positive conversation, and create a solution to the problem, then we're going to move forward so much more quickly. And I wish we could say that in dis- like I say it in disability to discourse, but I feel really and i'm so happy you said it because i've been wanting another disabled person to say what i've been feeling for a very long time it very rarely comes out when we talk to other disabled people and that makes me so hurt because i'm like i don't want to yell at able-bodied people i don't think they're bad i don't think they're the worst humans ever i think they have a lot of learning to do just like i do and i like i don't think it's fair when i think and i'm totally going off on tangent here but i don't care it's my show Uh, (laughs) so um, I don't think it's fair when, you know, you brand somebody an ableist and that's the end of the conversation. You say, oh, you're an ableist. And then that's it. It's like, well, yeah. that doesn't, okay. Like, does, what does it solve? Like, well, a lot of people don't even know what ableism is. And so if you're just yelling at them and saying they're an ableist, then they don't learn from it. They just will, they'll just go, oh, that person was angry. And then move on to the next disabled person and say the same thing. So if you yeah. can get in that moment with, from a place of, you know, understanding because there are things that I don't know and there are things that I don't know about the disability industry too you know in Australia it's it was it it was really the movement of of having person with a disability was huge but then the movement has changed to being known as disabled person disabled person different 
ways that we describe ourselves, but there's no wrong or right way. It's whatever you choose. And some people can choose yeah. to acknowledging their disability at all, and that's totally fine. Some people can call themselves handicapable. Some people can call themselves, you know, what is the other one? Yeah, there's a like special. There's a whole bunch of yeah. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of other ones. But what I, you know, and with and I say this a lot on the show. With me, whenever I listen to a term like that, I listen to how is the term being used. Is it mm. used as a weapon against me? If yes, then we have to talk about it. And if not, then who am I to say? Like, why do I have to come in there and tell you that you're wrong? And it's just, it's nice to meet another disabled person that's on the same, like, path. Because I often yeah. feel like, and I, I love the disabled community, but I often feel like I'm fighting, like, an uphill battle. Because it's like, I just want to be, I just want everybody to love everybody. Why can't we do that? <laughs> Same. I don't want to be angry about my disability. I want to, I want to wake up every day and whether I'm having a shitty pain day or not, I want to be happy about my life. And, you know, I've chosen not to work predominantly in the disability industry because it's just an angry space to be in. And I can do much yeah. more. I can do more good yeah, jobs like, and stuff than working. Like as I a, love talking to able-bodied, like I love, I work in the disability space, but I love talking with able-bodied people over I'm going to say this very consciously. I love all you disabled people. You're great. But I, but I enjoy working with non-disabled people almost a little bit more because there isn't that anger there. There's, there may be an ignorance and there may be a lack of knowledge, but then I get to come in and be like, let's talk about this together as opposed to like sitting with someone else's anger for two hours and hoping that I did it right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that feeling. <laughs> so yeah. like this, this, it just makes me very happy because I've been feeling these things for a long time and I've been like afraid to like say it. But now that I know, I know there's someone else in the world that feels that way, I feel better. That's <laughs> so, amazing. <laughs> I mean, well, it's just so great. And the last thing I want to ask you, Elle, before we let you go, um, what do you, if somebody was to buy, to click on the lost chapter and then read the lost chapter and decide to buy our book and fund the first line of sex toys, for disabled people, what would you tell them about the book and why do you think it's important? I think it's important because the stories are powerful and will give you an insight into sexuality and disability and how we are humans, our bodies just look different and our minds run differently. But, you know, I think it's even more so important that there is a sex toy available for people with disabilities because we deserve pleasure as well. And it's yeah. really it's really as simple as that. That if you're if, if you're a person with a disability that wants to experience that kind of pleasure, then you have every right to, and it's taken too long to have something available in the market for us. Yeah. And this book, like we've said a bunch of times doing, you know, doing press for this book, this book brings another layer to that. So yeah. And, you know, when you read, when you read Elle's quote and some of the other quotes in the book, it's just such a powerful, and I am disabled and I read it and I went, oh, I didn't know half of this stuff. And now I do like, wow. So it just, it's such an exciting thing. And Elle talking to you today has been life-changing for me. Like really, I'm really, I want to talk to you off the air because I'm having all these feelings about all the stuff we can do together. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was really great. And I love chatting with you how can the people get a hold of you and follow your work and support you how can they do all that 
Um, I'm predominantly on Instagram. My handle is I am L Steel, um, and I play on Pinterest a little bit as well, but mostly Instagram. So you can find me there. And my website is the same. It's imlsteel.com. So everything is imlsteel. It's it's a, such a perfect website name, and so grateful you do. L Steel, thanks for coming on this episode of the Handicast, the very first one of 2021. We will talk with you very soon. Thank you so much. Thanks. See ya. Thanks. Bye.